Story one, two, three, four, five of this upcoming Boston College season. Upcoming. It's got to be, right? 2023. It has to be the offensive line. You cannot go into next season with this being a question mark like it was last year where everything fell apart. Everything was predicated to the play of that group, and it all crumbled and caused everything else to crumble. Now, BC has done, as I said on the show a couple times, a bunch of moves to try to solidify this position. And we're still waiting on one other move, but we'll talk about that with Mitch. But on today's show, I, we're going to look at one of the guys that just came in. Logan Taylor, an offensive lineman tackle from UVA. Mitch has, Mitch Wolf is joining us for the first time in a couple of weeks to talk about this. And I can't wait to hear what Mitch thinks about Logan Taylor on today's Locked On BC. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Boston College, AJ Black. This is our uh, Tuesday, Wednesday show, and we're talking back to the transfer portal. The transfer portal is closing at midnight tonight. It closes at midnight on Wednesday, and BC has landed seven recruits, eight if you consider the long snapper, and I'm not sure if he is a uh, scholarship player or not, but that's not the point of this. The point of today's episode is to talk about Logan Taylor, a big offensive tackle that'll hopefully fill a slot that BC desperately needs some help in. And I have, you know, when we're talking how a guy plays, what his strengths and weaknesses are, there's no other person we go to than Mitch Wolf. Mitch, it's been a little while. How you doing, bud? AJ is a fellow married man. I'm sure, you know, on your honeymoon, you re- you know that, you know, it's a relaxing time. You have a lot of time to think about stuff. And now I'm not sure if you did exactly what I did, but naturally I spent most of mine thinking about how BC is going to fix this offensive line and how Logan Taylor affects that. So I'm happy to be back and talking about it. Um, I can, I'm going to age myself here by a lot, but I went to my honeymoon in Hawaii and it was the end of August and I ended up watching. And I think it was Dave Shinsky as the quarterback uh, BC versus Northeastern. Who doesn't even have a team anymore <laughs> in a Hawaiian Island. I was in a Hawaiian Island watching it at a tiki bar. So I, I, I know, I kind of know your, I know your, uh, your, your, your game here, Mitch. Um, but all right, let's talk Logan Taylor. What, what, let's, let's start off with you. You watched the film. What are some of the things that stood out to you, Mitch? So the first thing that I found interesting was that he started the first two games at right tackle. And then I believe an injury occurred. And then he spent the rest of the season at left tackle, um, which for a first year starter, a redshirt freshman, that's a pretty big swing. And additionally, when I was watching one of the games, they flashed this little stat on the cry on there that said Virginia was only bringing back one Letterman offensive lineman from this from last year to this year, or I guess two years ago to last year, which, you know, BC fans are familiar with that, but that might have been arguably even worse. And it showed because Virginia really struggled this year after a pretty decent year with a very explosive offense last year. And they were anything but that this year. Um, and, you know, if you look at his grades, I know you mentioned it. He has a 55.5 overall, a 70.9 run block, and a 38.1 pass block, which I know that last number sounds terrible. Uh, but if you, this is why you can't just look at the one grade. You got to, you know, ideally look at all the grades of each game and ideally watch all the games. But I know some people don't have the time for that or are just not insane like me. Um, but so I watched four of his five first games and from this season. And what I saw was 
one of the most impressive developments and improvements of an offensive lineman that I've seen. And that's part of the reason why I like offensive watching offensive line so much is because it, you know, it, it isn't as dependent as much on other players. Like if you're watching a running back, you know, the blocking has to be good for them to be good. If you're watching a wide receiver, they have to get a good throw from the quarterback or whatever with offensive line. It's really just, you know, man versus man. And you got to get your assignment. And when I watch, watch Taylor's first game and it's against Richmond who obviously FCS team, but they're a pretty decent FCS team. I looked up the guy who was facing the most and he's a pretty good edge rusher for Richmond. Um, and he, you can tell that he's an incredible athlete. He's got incredible physical skills, uh, gets out of his stance, super fluid, can move really easily. He's got strength, but his technique was all over the place with, and with his feet, with his hands, um, just had like just plain missed assignments. Um, and just looked confused. And, you know, it's the first game, you know, you're going to have some jitters and all that, but even in that game itself. And then as I kept watching game after game after game, you could see him just take huge strides forward. Like his, the way he got out of his stance was so much better. You know, his hand, it was really the hand placement that I found so interesting because it was very sloppy in terms of timing placement and strength. And those are the three factors with hand usage for offensive line. It was super sloppy to begin the year. And you know, I've just watched his Duke game and Duke has a really good defensive line. They And they run a lot of stunts and twists, which is something that gave the BC offensive line a lot of issues. And that was something that Taylor had some issues with earlier in the season. But in this game, he and they got him once or twice. And it's because, again, Duke has a good defensive line. But on the for the most part, he did an excellent job of picking those stunts up, passing them off. And he just looked so much more comfortable knowing what he was doing. His hand uses were so much better. And you, he just looked like a completely different player. And I thought that was that's extremely encouraging for BC fans who are desperate for this offensive line to improve. And I think it's important for folks to know too. Taylor, I think just picked the game up a couple of years ago. I believe he's, he's from Canada originally played in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was obviously Emmett Moorhead's uh, roommate, uh, not roommate. He was a teammate of Emmett Moorhead at um, Episcopal, Episcopal in Virginia oh, high school. Yep. Yep. Uh, but I believe he's originally from um, he's Canada. He's from Nova Scotia. Yep. Nova Scotia. So he's, he, you know, that there's a learning curve, but what I love hearing from you, Mitch, is that he's picking things up because I feel like that was something that we were not seeing a ton of with a lot of the guys on the roster last year was you, you saw guys maybe like Ozzy Trapilo or, or Drew Kendall that took steps forward. But for a lot of the guys, you were watching them make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Yeah. And when I, so I, what I, what I might do is I might, do a thing for our VIP members is I, I write my notes in Google Docs and they're kind of just, uh, you know, stream of consciousness. And I, what I'm thinking I might do is I might just post them there and try to kind of make sure they're complete sentences and make sense. But that way you can kind of see like what I'm looking for. And the one thing that I wrote down was, um, oh, shoot, I had, a good, I had a really good note that I want to find. Uh, but what the, I would say the issue with him now is that when he he's trying to correct something or get get something changed, he's going, he's being just a little too aggressive or he's reacting too much. And he just needs to make little corrections, um, which if you're if you've ever driven a boat, that's what you're supposed to do. Cause otherwise you're going to, you know, capsize, but you just want to make like little, little changes to things instead of trying to, you know, clearly overhaul things. I would also like to see him be a little more aggressive and nasty. And that's, you know, some offensive linemen have that gene. Um, think about guys like John Feliciano in the NFL right now, or Richie incognito. Um, but some, and some guys are just a little more passive, but when I see him, win. The process is good. And when I see him lose, the process is correctable. It's like small things where you say, okay, if we get this guy some good coaching and say like, hey, don't do this with your hand. Like he had this really funny thing where 
he would like when he went out into his past that he would like shoot out his one hand kind of randomly and i was just like like why are you doing that that you just don't need to be doing that at all and there were times when he, I, I i was like watching him and he reminded me of i'm not sure if you've seen this movie the iron giant where he would kind of like miss a block sort of and put both his hands up as if he had just dropped something i was like oh no <laughs> Um, which was, it's, it's funny in the first game, but then again, you see those mistakes go away and he gets much better. Um, but yeah, I think this guy is going to be a huge get for BC. I think he's going to be a major catalyst for improving this offensive line. All right. So based off of what you la- you just said in our second segment, I want to talk about how Mitch sees the offensive line kind of gelling next year and what role Logan Taylor will play. We'll get to that in just a moment, but if you know me, you know I'm a big fan of the Built Bar, and if you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays. I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then i got the thing for you. got to try Built. With Built, they actually are tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. It is perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? They're 100% covered in chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. And I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They're 130 calories with 4 grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't want to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built at Built.com. Now you can get them at Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-box par box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter, and churros. You can thank me later, so head on over to Built or Walmart or Sam's Club. Locked on BC, AJ Black here, and I'm here with Mitch. This is uh, one of our favorite episodes of the week, having Mitch on to talk football we're we're in the doldrums now with no more college football around. Um, but if you like if you're a football junkie like we are and you want to get Boston College news, and I know you do, I know you even though they were three and nine last year, you still love your program, you still want to get your news, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are three away from 700 subscribers, and I'd love for you to be number 700. So make sure you subscribe. It's absolutely free. It does not cost you anything ever. And all it does, it gets you your our video sent directly to you. So go over to youtube.com and subscribe to Lockdown BC and become a subscriber today. And if you've already done so, thank you so much for doing it. All right, Mitch. We BC looks like they are redoing their offensive line. And I think there is one last move that we're still waiting for that shoe to drop. But where, where, where do you see Logan Taylor kind of fitting into this group? I think he needs to be the day one starter right tackle because, I, like I said, I, I like what Ozzy did last year. Um, I think you want to keep having him grow in that role. And I think that I think if Logan Taylor had been allowed to naturally progress at right tackle last year uh, for Virginia, I think he would have played a lot better. Uh, I also think that he's listed at 6'6", 300, but his frame is very lean. I think you could easily put 15 to 20 pounds on him and he would still be a pretty still be a, a above average to good athlete at the offensive tackle position. And I prefer him on the right side. And I, I know this has kind of gone away, but for most teams, the right side is still the side that you qualify as your right, your strong side and where you want your better run blockers to be because most of your runs are going to go to that side. And I think that you put him right tackle because he's a really good run blocker, especially when he is like the first guy out of the gate on outside zone, which BC doesn't do as much as they did with Frank Signetti, but they still do a good bit of it. Um, and that way you can also 
if you know he there are times when he does mess up with his technique but that way if he's between Ozzy or um Christian Mahogany and a tight end you can give him some help there but I think that that's the position he'd be best at uh you still have a bit of a question mark with who's starting there with Kevin Klein maybe Jack Conley um but I think you can put him there you have no problems and then that way you can maybe move Klein and Conley to guard where they might be a little more comfortable um because left guard in my opinion is still a little up in the air in terms of, that's I would say that's the one where I have a big question mark as to who's starting if you start Logan Taylor at right tackle. All right. So let's just play this out right now. Given what BC has brought in, including Christian Mahogany returning, how much, like, it, you know, percentage wise, how much better do you think this offensive line will be next year? You know, is it going to be like twice, you know, 50% better? They're going to have better grades. Where, where, I mean, just g- give me a number of where, where you think this, this program will be at. I think. I, th- I think it's a, that's kind of hard to quantify, but I would say like by the end of, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say the first few games, you know, it might be have some hiccups, you know, you're again, I, hopefully there are no injuries, but um, you hope you, you you expect some hiccups to begin the season just because guys are getting used to playing with each other, you know, building chemistry. But I think, you know, by the time you get into the middle part of the season, I think this group hopefully will have really gelled and they should be a very strong group. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at a, at, at you know, maybe a 50, at least a 50% improvement in terms of quality of play, because you know, going from left to right, Ozzy at left guard, I think right now you pencil in Hergel. Um, I would really like to get him trained at center in case Kendall goes down, because I think that's where Hergel's future would lie. If he wants to go to the NFL based on his size um, and behind Hergel, you can have some kind of uh, uh, competition between Kevin Klein, Jack Conley, what have you, uh, Finn Durstein, uh, center of Kendall still, I know he had, he had some issues, especially late in the year as he was hurt and fighting through an injury and everything, but, uh, enough positive moments where you can say, okay, this guy's still the center again, cross train Hurgle to back him up. And then I also, I think, I think Alec has some training at center. So I'd prefer to see him as the third center, I guess, uh, mahogany pencil down at right guard, I guess penned in at right guard. Cause who else are you going to play, uh, backing him up? You could have Klein or Conley. They'd both be solid right guards. And then right tackle. You can, like I said, start Logan Taylor there and then, you know, Jude Bowery can back up either tackle spot in a pinch. You could have Kevin Klein back him up and in a, in a, in a, in a real, real pinch, which hopefully we don't see again. You could have Jack Conley play there, but you know, I know some people have said, Oh, they need to get more transfer in the offensive line. And I, I agree with what you said in that if they can't really just, they just can't, I mean, even though the portal is closing in a matter of hours and be closed by the time most people listen to this, it, there's just not that many bodies that will want to come because they aren't going to want to play. Yeah. Um, and then they won't be able to play because there's only five spots, but now you've got five quality starters, including arguably the best guard in college football. And you got guys who are all experienced behind them. Now you also have guys who are experienced and some of them have a decent amount of starting experience like Conley. Uh, if Hergel becomes backup, like Hergel, uh, something like that. So if one guy goes down, it's not going to be this catastrophic chain of reaction that messes everything else up. Uh, again, we hope that there aren't injuries and I can't imagine there'd be any more than there were last year, but I think you're going to see this, this offense line. It's going to look nothing like it was last year. If, if it goes the way I think it's going to go. And I think you're going to see them be able to open up this run game, which then should help open up the rest of the offense. And, and as I said before, I think the the last shoe to drop and we I've kind of alluded to it through the episode has not happened yet, mm-hmm. which is, I think we're still waiting to see what happens with Dave DeGuglielmo, the offensive line coach, you know, um, he has been involved with recruiting. He was thanked by Taylor and his, his commitment post. But you look at, I mean, you, if you read the tea leaves of what's happening on the recruiting trail, 
Chris Snee is is running a lot, which I'm not. I I am not. We that's a whole episode on ourselves talking about a brand new offensive line coach. But we'll have to wait and see what Halfley's choice is going to be there. Yeah, and for the office coordinator, I know I put a post up on uh, on the website for I think it was for VIP members, but I, I think I'll kind of say what the summation of it is: is that I think, and this is similar to what you said, I think Halfley is going to kind of let go of that past requirement he had where it's like, okay, I have to pick a guy that I've worked with like almost extensively. And I, I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I think that he would still prefer that, but I think you could see him go with somebody he doesn't has not you know specifically worked with maybe, and maybe it's somebody who he has, um, you know, a connection with like, say like a Ryan day, like, let's say it's like the, and I know he's worked with the Ohio state quarterbacks coach, but you know, that guy was a quality control coach and Halfley was the co-defensive coordinator. So they probably didn't overlap that much, but you know, that would be, I would imagine that would come with a high recommendation from Ryan Day or yep. something similar where it's like he knows a guy who knows the guy that he's hiring. And so he can at least get some kind of vouching for him. But I think this is all part of the greater strategy that we've seen. And this is and I know we've been very critical of Halfley at times, maybe not as critical as people would have liked. But I would say that I am encouraged by his shift in thinking this offseason and saying, like, OK, last year I tried to do things my way and it didn't work out and we got burned. And. I'm changing my process to be more open to try new things because essentially, I mean, frankly, he's got nothing to lose now. Like this, this year is do or die. So you got to pull out all the stops, put all your chips on the table and just go for broke. So I respect that he's doing that and not just doing what, you know, old coaches would have done and just stick to their guns until the ship goes down. Which, you know, do what, do what the last coach would have done. Exactly. Also for this comment about Hergel starting at right guard versus left guard, I I guess it does. It, probably doesn't really matter. I know Hergel has a ton of experience there. Um, Mahogany has played both spots. So I, I, I guess it, it, I would be, I feel like still hot because of how good of Mahogany is a run blocker. He would fit better at right guard. Um, but it, you know, in terms of the offensive line positions, those two are the most interchangeable, I would say. Um, but yeah, it, I just wanted to address that. Yep. Thank you. Mar- Marty party is very active in our comment section right now. And if you want to add, add any comments, you can add that there. Well, Mitch is going to head out because I get to do the fun talk to our last segment to talk about BC basketball, which I'm sure Mitch doesn't want to stick around for this team stinks, baby. All right. So Mitch, where can people find your work? You can find me at Mitchell T Wolf, W O L F E on Twitter. Uh, like I said, I just published, or we just published my list of offensive coordinator candidates. Um, and excuse me uh, like i said i think i'll probably try to publish my taylor notes uh and you'll kind of get to delve into the mind of a madman and uh we'll see what else we got going on because uh it's a be, it'll be an interesting season you know stuff is slowing down but we've now that we're kind of getting into the draft season we'll be talking to some of our prospects that are in the draft and talking to some of the transfers that came into bc during this offseason Mitch, and you promise that your notes are not just all work and no play makes Mitch a dull boy written over and over again. I, I'm publishing the written. I'm publishing the ones that I type. I'm not going to publish screenshots of the the journal that's written in blood. Okay. <laughs> well, Mitch, it's it's great having you back on. We'll see you again next week, and hopefully, we'll be able to talk about a new offensive coordinator. Alrighty. See ya. All right. See ya. In a moment, we're going to talk about. Well, I'm going to talk about the basketball game. So don't go away. I have some thoughts about it and a, a specific statistical um, accomplishment BC was able to accomplish. Uh, and it's not a good one. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Locked on BC, AJ black here, BC basketball, they fall to you to you and see 72 64. And on the show, on the podcast, uh, yeah, on the podcast, on the site earlier today, I said in my keys of the game, BC could not, They had to have the offensive game of their career. 
And I wasn't that far off. This team could not go in and score 65 points and expect to win. They scored 64. They lost. They just needed to have a little bit better of a game, and they weren't able to do it. But how bad was the offense? And it wasn't terrible. They weren't shooting as poorly as they have in years past. And, hey, they came back from a double-digit deficit. That's a positive in itself. But for the first time in 420 games since 2009, BC did not hit a single three-point shot. This is an insane statistic because if you follow college or at NBA basketball, you know how much offenses are predicated on the ability to shoot a three-pointer. BC's offense has been atrocious with that all year. They were, you know, in the 300s in terms of three-point shooting, shooting about 25%, which is not going to win you much anyways. So I kind of look at this two ways. I said on Twitter, I tweeted out, you know what? They went 0 for 6. I'm kind of glad that they didn't shoot more than that to get some free three-pointers in. Because when BC starts shooting a ton of three-pointers, they start losing by more. Because when they start relying on three, they're so bad at it that they start losing because their offense just becomes completely unhinged. So on one hand, there's that. On the other hand, you're not going to win any games if you're not hitting any three-point shots. You're just not going to because UNC was shooting pretty well from three-point range, and they had about nine, uh, last I had checked, I think it was like nine or ten three-pointers in the game itself. They had, um, yeah, ten. ten. They went ten for 29. They weren't even that great from three-point range. But you have to, have to be able to keep it honest. I go back to one of the players that has been a bit disappointing this year, and, and he's had his moments, but it hasn't been consistent, and that's Jaden Zachary. Jaden Zachary had 14 points in this game. And I think he, he would have been the guy I would have hoped to hit some three pointers. That's it. He was good offensively. I mean, he was one of the guys that was able to cut and slash, but when you shoot, you know, you're, you're looking for one guy on this, this roster that can shoot threes. That's, I mean, with Earl Grant, that's about all you're going to get. They brought in Mason Matson. You were hoping he was going to do it. He went zero for one. You were going to hope that maybe Jaden Zachary would do it. He shot 49% from three-point range last year. He wasn't able to do it. It's just it's just such a it, – as, as Mitch said, it, it's it's hard to watch because you're, you're, you, you need those, shoot, your shot, those shots. You see good teams in the NBA in college. You, I mean, I watch the Celtics, and I watch guys like Jason Tatum and Grant Williams and all these other guys be able to launch and hit threes consistently. And it keeps the offensive flowing. And then you see it happen to BC. I mean, how many times in the last three games between UNC, Miami, and Wake Forest have opposing teams just hit like those nail three-pointers in their face to kind of put the game away? It That, that was the hardest part. And this wasn't the worst game. It was a 14-point spread, and BC was in this until like the very end. They just couldn't get over the hump and which has kind of been like the, 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 the MO in a lot of these games where they just, they are showing grit. They show their ability to come back, but then they just kind of falter at the end. And that's what happened again. It was a tough loss to watch. Quentin post had a good game. Uh, he was battling hard with the Mondo Bacot bat down there. Uh, he ended up falling out at the end of the game. Um, but a good game for post as well. So we're going to wrap things up. Uh, going to write up the game, but if you want to check it out, check out, Locked on BC on YouTube. Find me on Eagle Insider. I'm the editor and publisher over there as well. And you can find Mitch's work there as well. We'll be back again tomorrow with more news and analysis that you're not going to find 
anywhere else as we are the only daily Boston College podcast out there. Probably the only podcast that does it consistently. I see so many other podcasts that struggle because let me tell you, you need to have a real passion to cover BC constantly like this. And I have it and I will continue to share it with each and every one of you. This is AJ Black. Mitch is, hang- is already headed out. We'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone.